Today's part three of our series called My Big Fat Mouth, and so far we've been looking at this great little verse that James, the brother of Jesus, writes about our mouths. Hopefully by now you've memorized, or at least the, the major portion of it. Let's look at it again. It's James chapter 1, verse 19. Here's what James writes. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's do it one more time. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And what we've been talking about is to be quick to listen is not something that physically you're able to do. And so it's a conscious decision that you're making that, you know what, before I open my mouth to give my opinion or to make a snide remark or be sarcastic in some way, I'm actually going to listen really to what the other person is saying. I'm going to seek first to understand before I try to be understood by other people. And what I share with you is the best way to do that is to be curious. Just ask a lot of questions. Well, what do you mean by that? Or help me to understand when you use that word, you know, whatever it is, what's your definition of that? Or I'd be curious, when did you first start believing that? Or how did you come to that type of belief? Again, you're really seeking to understand where it is that they're coming from. And the reason that we need to seek first to understand before we're understood is because that's what you want. You don't want people to interrupt you when you're talking. You want people to truly hear you out before they give their opinion. And so if that's what you want from other people, that's what we should be giving to other people as well. And then last week I talked to you about how James said that the, the tongue is it's like a spark. The words that we use, it's like a spark that can set off a whole forest fire. And we talked about the power of words. Just how powerful it is that just one little thing that you say, oh man, it can make a world of difference, either positively or negatively. And so we've got to be very, very careful about the words that are coming out of our mouths. Now, James is not the only person in Scripture that talks about the power of the mouth and the power of the tongue. Another guy, how many of you have heard of Paul before? You've heard of Paul, right? Paul, he speaks a lot about this and he writes a lot about it as well. So if you have a Bible here today, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to hang out today. I want to welcome all of you. Those of you that are watching online with us, welcome to you. There's a little button right now in the upper right hand corner of your screen called Talk Notes. If you'll push that, that's going to take you to all the scriptures I'm going to be looking at here today, as well as all the notes that I'll be making as well. Those of you that are live here in the room, I want to welcome you. And if you'll pull out your smartphone, you can go to exponential.church and you can get the Talk Notes there as well. Now, as you continue to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, let me talk about Paul a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of his backstory. Paul is the actual Greek version of the Hebrew word Saul, or the Hebrew name Saul. And Saul was, if, we've talked about the Pharisees a lot around here, right? We, we talk about who they were. They were very what? They were very fair, you see, right? And they were the ones that ended up killing Jesus. If you looked up Pharisee in the dictionary, there would have been Saul's picture. Now, that's not me saying that. Saul himself at one point says, you know what? I was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And remember, the Pharisees are the ones that end up authorizing the execution of Jesus. Saul says, man, I, I was one of those guys. The Pharisee of all Pharisees. And so he was pretty happy when Jesus was executed. He's like, all right, we're done with that. You know, let's get back to our religion as it was. But then this rumor happens about three days after Jesus had been crucified, 
His followers are saying that Jesus is risen again from the dead. And Saul's like, what? What do you mean? And, and like all of a sudden, there's like a lot of people that are talking about this. And there's people believing it. And they're actually saying that, you know what? Jesus is the one that can forgive people of their sin because Jesus is God. And Saul as a Pharisee is going, that's blasphemy. You can't say things like that. Only God can forgive sin. And they're going, yeah, Jesus is God. He's like, no, no, no. Jesus isn't God. Only God can forgive sin. And to have your sin forgiven, you got to go to the temple. You have to have a priest offer up sacrifice. And they're going, yeah, Jesus was that sacrifice. A once and for all sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that takes away all the sin of the world. And this just made Saul furious. And so he is like going around and he's persecuting all the Christians. He's the number one opponent of, of Christians. He's traveling and he's ordering the execution of Christians. He's trying to stamp out this new movement called Christianity. Until one day, he's on his way to Damascus, which is in Syria. And as he's on his way, he actually encounters the resurrected Jesus. He sees Jesus face to face there. Now, I share with you all the time, like with James, who we've been looking at, you know, what would it take for your brother or sister to convince you that they're God? They'd have to be raised from the dead. So James had encountered the resurrected Jesus. It changed him. And the exact same thing happens for Saul. He was so against Christianity until he has this experience with the resurrected Jesus. And he goes from being the number one opponent of Christianity to the number one ambassador of Christianity. All of a sudden now, Saul, he takes on that, that Greek version of his name, Paul. He starts traveling all over the Mediterranean area and he's telling people about Jesus that he was dead, but now he's alive and he has the power over sin. He can give you a brand new life. He can give you a fresh start. If you want to spend eternity with God, it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so Paul, he's telling this message anywhere he can go, and he's starting new churches, what we would call planting churches. And he plants literally dozens and dozens and dozens of churches throughout many uh, different countries in the Mediterranean area. And what Paul would do from time to time is after he'd get these churches started and he was off somewhere else, he would sit down and he would write a letter to those churches. Sometimes it was a letter of encouragement. Sometimes it was a letter that was like helping them to fix a problem that they had going on in their church. Sometimes it was a theological or a doctrinal issue that they had to deal with and they weren't sure what to do. And so he would sit down and he would just write a letter. And so I asked you earlier, I said, turn to Ephesians 4. And what you need to realize is we call that a book of the Bible. But actually what it is, it's a letter that Paul wrote. The whole book of Ephesians was written to the church there in Ephesus which is in modern-day Turkey. And so he's writing this letter to him, and he's going to address a lot of things about how we speak and about the mouth. Now, before we get to that, though, let me give you the context of the couple verses before, just so you understand why Paul was so adamant about what comes out of our mouth. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He writes this, With the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. What he's saying to the people there in Ephesus is, look, the, the culture that you grew up in, they're confused. You know, they, they worship the, the Greek gods, right? The mythological gods, Zeus and Venus and you know, various, various people like that, or false gods. 
He's like, those people are confused. You know, the gods, they believed it was all about just get what you can get. And morally and sexually, I mean, they just did anything they wanted. These were the quote-unquote gods. And so the people wanted to be like the gods. And they're like, okay, we're just going to live like that. And Paul's like, man, don't, don't live like those people. They are confused. He continues on then in verses 18 and 19. He says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. See, that Greek and Roman culture, it was all about do whatever you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. It was every man, woman, boy, and girl for themselves, basically. And in the times that you did give the courtesy of looking out for somebody else, that courtesy did not apply if you were poor or if you were a child, if you were a woman or you were a foreigner. And again, Paul's saying, that, man, they are confused. Their, their minds and their hearts, they've been hardened. He says, yes, you grew up in that culture. But what I taught you is that Christianity is different than that. Don't forget what I taught you. It's all about becoming like Jesus, not becoming like these false gods. In fact, that's what he says then in verses 20 and 21. He writes, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. You have certainly heard his message and been taught his ways. The truth is in Jesus. Now, as a quick little side note, we should be eternally grateful to Jesus and Paul and James and other writers of the New Testament because a lot of the things that we take for granted as Americans, even if you're not a Christian, if you're tuning in today or you're here today with us and you're not a Christian, a lot of who we are and the ideals that we have as Americans come from Christian principles, come from guys like this. Because remember what I said earlier to you, that if you were a woman or you were a child, or you were poor, or you were a foreigner, you were a nobody in their mind. And so it was people like Paul and, and Jesus and James and John and Peter, these guys that are writing about, no, 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 as followers of Jesus, all people are important. That we have individual rights. That women should be treated with respect. That the poor should be shown dignity. That foreigners are made in the image of God just like anybody else. Again, we, we sort of take those values for granted as Americans. But those values come straight from Scripture. And so through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul and the others, they changed what was going on, not only in their time, but in our day and time as well. Verse 22. He says, You were taught that your foolish desires will destroy you. And that you must give up your old way of life with all of its bad habits. He's saying, look, this is what I taught you. These foolish things that you believe, these desires that you have, and, and all the things that the world is teaching you, the culture is teaching you, it's going to destroy you. So don't do that. Give up your old way of life. Give up your bad habits. you got to think and act and live differently than what the culture does. And he says, look, and even when it isn't the culture that's sort of influencing you, and it's just your own foolish desires, Learn to say, no, it's not about you. It's all about becoming like Jesus. Again, the culture that they had was become like the gods. Become like Zeus. Become like Venus. Become like all of them. And they believed that the gods were toying with them. And so they thought that, well, if 
I'm going to become like the gods then. My job is to toy with other people, to manipulate people, to use people. Paul's going, no, 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 no. You can't live like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't live like that. You've got to think and act and behave differently. How do you go about doing that? Well, he tells us in the next verses, 23 and 24. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. You were created to be like God, and so you must please Him to be truly holy. Again, he's saying you're not created to be like these false gods. You're created to be like the one true God, the God who invites you to call Him Father. The one who loves you with an everlasting love. You're created to become like Him. He isn't toying around with you. Just don't live like the culture. Live like Jesus. All right, so that's the context then for why Paul is now going to start to talk about specific behaviors and actions that we can take then as followers, including a lot to say about the tongue and the mouth. So let's look at that then. Verse 29, the, the very first part of it. He says, stop all your what? Stop all of your, your dirty talk. Let no foul nor abusive language come from your mouth. Read that again to yourselves there. No dirty talk. No dirty jokes. No foul language. No abusive language. If you're doing that, it needs to stop. You are called to not be like the people of the culture. You're called to be like Jesus. You're like, oh, I can't help it. Sometimes it's like bad words just come out of my mouth. Yes, you can help it. And I'll tell you how. You can control what comes out of your mouth. Here's how I know. If your mom calls, if your pastor calls, if, you know, whoever that, like, you know, Somebody should be like, oh, I can't like say those words around them, right? If they call, you could be like, F this and blah, blah, blah. And you're like doing all this kind of stuff. And they call and you're like, hello? Oh, hi, mom. <laughs> hi, pastor. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah, it's a good day. You can control what's coming out of your mouth. You do not have to use those words. And even if it wasn't that it was a scriptural thing, that it's a sinful thing, be smarter than that. There's a lot better words out there than the words that the people of the culture use. Do not let any dirty talk, foul language, abusive language come out of your mouth. The actual Greek word here, in a lot of translations it says not, no, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The, the Greek word for it it's actually the same word that is used to translate like rotten meat or rotten fish or rotten vegetables or rotten uh, 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 fruits. And, and not just the, the taste of it, but the smell of it. So what Paul's basically saying is when you let those words come out of your mouth, you stink. It stinks to other people. And have you ever had those times when like when your breath is like legitimately like you're like offending yourself? You're like, oh man, <laughs> that's me. That's what Paul's saying here is look, when you're using those words, it should stink to you. That you're like, oh, I can't even stand myself right now. 
let no foul language come out of your mouth. And notice that he uses the word let. In other words, it's a choice. It's a choice. You're the one that has to choose to not let it come out of your mouth anymore. How are you going to do that? Paul said, let the Spirit change you. Become a brand new person. And so that's why I talked to you last week that when it comes to our words, we've always got to be on guard. All right, so that's Paul telling you what you shouldn't do with your mouth. Now he's going to tell you what you should do. Look at the second part of verse 29. He said, instead, say the right things in the right way to build other people up according to their needs so it will benefit those who listen. You're going, well, that sounds a little bit unrealistic that like every word that comes out of my mouth, it has to be positive and it has to be good and it has to be building people up and it has to benefit other people. You're going, that sounds a little too Mr. Rogerish to me. That sounds a little bit more like Ted Lasso than you know, anything that I would be able to do. That like everything's like positive, positive, positive. But look, he's not saying that everything has to necessarily be positive because there's a difference here. There's a difference between being nice and being helpful. Paul's point isn't that every single word has to be puppy dogs and rainbows. Sometimes when you're speaking to people, the most helpful thing is the hard thing. Sometimes you have to have some tough conversations with people and you need to speak the truth to them and it's going to hurt. However, Paul earlier here in Ephesians 4 talked about when you speak the truth, make sure you do it with love. So it's not about always being positive. It's about being helpful, even if helpful sometimes temporarily may hurt someone. So Paul says, let your words build people up. Here's a way to think of it, just sort of a word picture to put in your mind. Imagine every conversation that you have with somebody, that it's a construction site. That that person, it's a construction site. And the words that you're sharing with them are the building materials. And so you got to make sure that when you leave that conversation, when you leave that construction site, that your words have built them up, that you've left a strong foundation, that you've built with solid materials, that you left them better than when you started the conversation. Or if you think of it instead of a construction site, maybe it's somebody's life, it's an existing building. you got to ask yourself, did my words add an addition onto that building for them? Or did my words tear down the building of their life? This is a decision that every single person has to make. Are my words building up or are my words tearing people down? Someone once said this, that words create worlds. Now, a lot of times when they're referring to that, they're talking about like having vision and, and that the words that you speak are going to create you know, various things in, in your life. But this isn't even just your life. Words create worlds in other people's lives. When you speak into somebody's life, is it building them up? Is it creating a world that they would want to live in and that you would want to live in with them in the world? Or are your words tearing them down? Crushing them? 
Paul says, let your words build them up according to their needs. According to their needs. Notice it isn't about let your words like benefit you because let's be honest, a lot of times when we're having conversations with people, in the back of our mind at least we're going, okay, how can I steer this conversation in a way that's going to benefit me? Paul says, no, no, no. Let your words benefit them. It's all about them. Your words should be life-giving to them, helpful to them. It's not about getting your point across. It's not about you looking smart. It's not about you getting in the last word. It's all about, God, how can I take my words and help build this person up? Paul says, look, the, the people of the world, they're thinking about themselves. But you've got to be different than that as a follower of Jesus. We've got to imitate Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve other people. We've got to become like Jesus who came not so that his own life could do well. He came in order to give up his life so that others could do well. It's got to be the same for us. In the words that you say and the actions that you do, are you serving people or are you looking to be served? Is it you giving up your life to benefit others or is it all about you? Paul says, look, man, you want to become like Jesus? Forget about you. Give your life to others. And one of the ways you give your life to others is you build them up with the words that you speak. Verse 30, don't make God's spirit sad. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Now, it seems like Paul's shifting gears here a little bit but let's look at it in the context of what he's been saying. What would make the Spirit sad when it comes to our words? Well, when we live and we talk like the people of the world. What would make the Spirit sad? Well, when our words tear people down instead of building people up. And then he continues on in verse 31, the very first part of the verse. He says, Therefore, get rid, or, uh, therefore rid yourselves of being bitter and angry and mad at others. Now, we talked about that word uh, rid uh, a couple weeks ago. And you remember the word rid was like to take your jacket off. But it actually goes beyond that because it's not like taking your jacket off and you then like put it on a hanger and you hang it up in your closet or, or you like fold it up and you put it into a drawer. Now, what it's talking about when it says get rid of, it's like you took that jacket off, you put it in your trash bag, you took the trash bag, you put it out in your trash dumpster, and then at the end of the week, you take the little dumpster thing, you wheel it out to the curb, and then the trash men come and they take it away and you never see it again. That's the kind of rid that this is talking about. And so Paul writes here, he says, rid yourselves of being bitter. Rid yourselves of being angry. Rid yourselves of being mad at other people. And he says, you got to do this with that bitterness. you got to do this with the, the anger. And here's, here's the reason why. Bitterness that you have in your heart, you know how it seeps out of you? How does bitterness seep out of you? Yeah, it comes out of your mouth through the words that you speak. And where does bitterness come from? Well, bitterness comes because somebody in the past hurt you in some way, 
and, and you haven't been able to get over it. Somebody stole something from you. They stole your childhood away from you. They stole your innocence away from you. They stole your reputation away from you, your confidence away from you. They stole a promotion away from you, an opportunity away from you. They stole the dream that you have of living and, and, and being married until death do us apart. They stole that away from you. And now you're bitter about it. Something has been stolen. And the words come out of your mouth that express that bitterness. But here's the terrible part of it. Most of the times, the person that you're bitter against isn't even in your life anymore. And so those words of bitterness that come out, guess who they're coming out against? Your spouse, your kids, your current friends, your current co-workers. The people that hurt you in the past, they're not even there anymore but yet you're taking it out on the people that are in your present. And that's why we got to get rid of, of bitterness. Here's how I put it on your outline. I can't be a builder if I'm bitter. Remember, our words need to build up, not tear down. But if you still are harboring bitterness in your heart because of what somebody did to you in the past, that's not the words that are going to come out of your mouth. So you'll never be a builder if you're still bitter. And so bitterness requires forgiveness. And forgiveness in the context of today's message looks like this. Put it on your outline. Forgiveness is giving someone from my past what they don't deserve so I can give those around me what they do deserve. Let me read that again. Forgiveness is giving someone from my past what they don't deserve. They, they hurt you. They stole something from you. They don't deserve your forgiveness. But you're going to give it to them anyway. Why? So that it benefits those that are in your life right now. Because you don't want to hurt the people that are in your life right now. So forgiveness is giving someone from my past what they don't deserve so I can give those around me what they do deserve. It's amazing how your words will change when you get bitterness out of your heart. So here's a homework assignment for you this week. If, as I've been speaking and as you've been watching there online, if the Spirit has been speaking to you about some sort of bitterness that you're still harboring in your heart, that somebody stole something from me and I can't get over it, here's what I want you to do. Get out a pen and a piece of paper. You're not going to do this on your laptop. You're not going to do it on a tablet. You're going to literally need a pen and a piece of paper. And what you're going to do this week is you're going to write the entire story out. This is how they hurt me. This is what they stole from me. This is how it makes me feel. And then once you've written that all out, you're going to take that piece of paper. You're going to wad it up. You're going to put it in the trash bag. You're going to take the trash bag out to the trash container you're going to take your trash container out to the curb and then whatever day your trash men or women come to pick up your trash, I want you to actually watch that process happen. I want you to watch them take that piece of paper, that bitterness that's been in your heart, and they're going to drive away. And I want you to mentally and physically and spiritually and emotionally just watch your bitterness head away to the trash dump. Never to be seen again. 
You've tried in the past to get rid of the bitterness. And I'm giving you an exercise that it sounds stupid. It's you're like, oh man, that would never work. But there's just something about like, I'm done with it. And there it goes. That could change your heart and it could change your whole life. Paul continues on then in verse 31, the second part of it. He says, don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. What we've got to remember is that everyone that we speak to has been made in the image and likeness of God, just like we have. And so, in the same way that we want God to love us and, and treat us with respect and not treat us in the way that we deserve to be treated, we need to do the same thing for other people. I mean, if there was ever anybody that deserved to be yelled at and, and mistreated, it would be us you know, with God. Because we've sinned against God. We've messed up. We should suffer His wrath. He should be always screaming at us about how we're messing up. But yet He chooses not to do that. Why? Because He chooses to love us instead, to forgive us instead. Verse 32, Paul talks about that. He says, Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. Jesus forgave us, and so we have got to forgive other people. Jesus forgave, and so that grace that He gives us is the grace that we should give to others. His grace should inform how we speak to other people. Now as I wrap up here today, I'm going to reread to you verses 29 to 32, those four verses. Here's what I want you to do. As I'm reading through... I want you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. I want you to ask yourself this question. As Gilbert is reading these four verses, in what area or areas do I still have some work to do? That's question one. Where do I still have some work to do in this area? Question number two is, who's hoping in my life that I get to work pretty soon? Because again, this isn't about just it impacts you. Your words are impacting others. So I'm going to read the verses. What do I still have some work to do? And who hopes that I get to work soon? So here it is. Ephesians 4, 29-32. Paul writes, Stop all of your dirty talk. Let no foul nor abusive language come from your mouth. Instead, say the right things in the right way to build other people up according to their needs. And so it will benefit those who listen. Don't make God's Spirit sad. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Therefore, rid yourselves of being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another curse each other, or ever be rude. Instead, be kind, merciful, and forgive others, just as God forgave you because of Christ. Homework assignment number one was to take whatever bitterness you have, write it all down, wad it up, put it in the trash, watch the trash bin, take it away. That's homework assignment number one. Here's assignment number two that I want you to do. 
reread these four verses every single day this week. And I want you to do it twice per day. Once in the morning, it's going to be a reminder of, okay, these are the things I need to do today to sort of guard my mouth, to be careful about the words coming out of my mouth. So you're going to read it in the morning as a reminder. Then you're going to read it right before you go to bed as a way to evaluate your day. Okay, how did I actually do with this? And so over the, the course of a week, you're going to read it about 14 times or so. And guess what's going to happen as you're remembering and as you're evaluating? Spirit's going to continue to speak. Spirit's going to continue to change you. But you may not have it memorized word for word, but at least the principles, you're going to get those down. You're going to memorize them over the next week. And if you'll memorize these four verses, or at least the principles of these four verses, your life is going to be so much better. And you're going to be so much better at life as well. Let me say that again. If you can follow these four verses, your life is going to be better. And you yourself, you're going to be better at life. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for the wisdom that comes from your word. And guys like James and guys like Paul, under the inspiration of your spirit, wrote these things down to, they thought it was just going to benefit the people of their day, but here we are 2,000 years later. And those words still ring true and, and they're still changing hearts. They're still changing minds. They're still changing lives. But Lord, as we looked at the other week, James says, don't just be a hearer of the Word. You've got to be a doer of the Word as well. And so Father, I pray that Your Spirit has been speaking to each and every one of us about are our words building up or tearing down? Are our words wholesome or do they stink? And so, Lord, convict us in the ways that we need to be convicted. And then help us through the power of your Spirit, just as Paul said that you would do. Help us through the power of your Spirit to make that choice to change our thinking, to change our minds. Lord, help us to root out all the bitterness and the anger and the being mad and the cursing and all the stuff. Help us to get that out of us. Because as the bad goes out, we're full more and more and more of Your Spirit. And the more full of Your Spirit that we have, that starts to overflow out of us onto others. And now we're making a difference for You and for Your kingdom and for Your glory. So Father, help us not to be content with who we are right now. Help us not to, to follow the, the ways of the world, the culture of this society and this nation. Help us to look to You to look to you, Jesus, and say, that's who I want to become like. That's who I want to follow. The words that Jesus spoke are the words that I want to come out of my mouth. The actions that Jesus took, those are the actions that I want to take. So Father, help us not to live for the things of this world, but to live fully for you. To serve instead of try to be served, to give instead of always trying to get. And again, Lord, as that applies to our mouths and the words that come out of our mouths, let all of our words help to build people up for their benefit, 
and not for ours. Why? Because we're following your example. So Lord, I, I pray that anybody that has bitterness and unforgiveness and they're just, uh, just mad about things, that Lord, this would be the week that they get rid of that forever and that their lives would change right here and right now and for all of eternity. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in the life-changing business. That's in your name that we pray. Amen.